invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 13. Our text for today is Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Here Jesus meets uh, a disabled woman and finds himself in conflict with a callous uh, religious leader. Now before we read our text, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, your all-sufficient word. And we thank you that we can know for sure that the words before us have not come into being as a result of the will of man or the imagination of men. But uh, Lord, this is a word that was written down as men were carried along by your Holy Spirit. We thank you that we can also know that this is not a dead letter book. Uh, This word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it is the word that we need. It's the all-sufficient word we need to know you, to know Christ, to know ourselves, and to know what it means to follow Christ. So minister your word to us, we ask, and I pray that it would not be merely the voice of a stumbling, bumbling preacher that we hear today, but the voice of the risen and reigning Christ speaking to his people. May the Holy Spirit come today and work in power, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Luke chapter 13, picking it up in verse 10. Now he, that's Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately She was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. As we, uh, as we look at this story this morning, uh, I want you to have a question in mind. Uh, the question is this, if, um, if Jesus came to Trinity Presbyterian Church today in the flesh, walked through the door this morning, uh, who would he immediately seek out? Uh, if Jesus came to our church today, who, who would he make a beeline for? That's the question I want you to have in your mind this morning as 
we look at this passage and see a couple of contrasts that Luke makes in these verses. And after we look at uh, two contrasts, first the contrast between a compassionate Christ and callous religious leader, and then the contrast between Jesus' adversaries and friends, I want us to see four lessons that we can pull out from this story. So let's think first of all about the first contrast, the contrast between compassionate Christ and a callous religious leader. Uh, notice, notice first of all the compassion of Christ. In verse 11, Luke introduces us to a disabled woman. He says, behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. She, uh, she suffered from some kind of uh, disability that uh, basically bent her over upon herself. And she, she couldn't stand up straight. She couldn't lift her, her head up. And she experienced um, surely chronic pain. Um, many of you know what it feels like to be bent over in an uncomfortable position for an extended period of time. Maybe you're working on a your car or doing garden work or cleaning your house. And when I was in college, I worked in a grocery store stocking a water and soda aisle. And I remember unloading pallets and then putting things on the shelves. Even as a young man, my back would ache. And surely this woman's pain was far, far worse than anything I experienced. And it, and it never went away. It endured for 18 years. Uh, it affected her entire life. It kept her from enjoying things. It kept her from doing things. Uh, perhaps at times it made her feel worthless. Uh, maybe it made her feel like a burden to others in her life. And I think some of you might know what that's like to a degree. Some of you can testify how hard it may be to be content with chronic pain or a permanent physical disability. And Dr. Luke, and Luke is a doctor after all, actually explains the cause of her disability there in verse 11. He says that she had a disabling spirit. And so Jesus is tracing this, at least to some degree, to a spiritual cause. Uh, later on in verse 16, Jesus speaks of this poor woman as someone who had been bound by Satan for 18 years. Of course, that doesn't mean that this is the cause of every physical disability. There are surely other causes. But in this case, in fact, this is the only case in which Luke gives this explanation. But in this case, you have a woman suffering physically due to spiritual oppression. And I think in that way, this, this, uh, this woman is a picture of us all. I think she's here in Luke's gospel to, to illustrate the fact that each one of us by nature is bound. And we need someone to come to us and who has the power to loose us, to free us, um, to straighten us out. And I think that's why Luke gives us this story. Now, Jesus was uh, teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath and this disabled woman makes her way to the synagogue to hear Jesus teach. And you know, Luke, Luke is painting a picture for us. Uh, Jesus is speaking to this congregation on the Sabbath. And he says, behold, in other words, 
make sure you see this. This is where I want your attention to be. Notice this. While he's teaching to this crowd, he spots her in the congregation. I imagine she's probably somewhere in the back, maybe on the fringe somewhere. Perhaps she came in late, got there as quickly as she could. But she's hunched over somewhere in the congregation. And as Jesus is speaking, his eyes lock on her and he sees her and immediately his heart goes out to her. And it's a, imagine it, just imagine it for a moment, a preacher in the middle of his teaching or his sermon Locking eyes with one of you and then stopping mid-sentence and then calling you by name and telling you to come up front. It says something about Jesus. I think it says that he was not afraid to break social etiquette in order to show mercy to someone. And so he calls her up and, and he says, woman, you are freed from your disability and then, you know, 18 years of being bent over, is it, could it really be true that I can stand up straight? Uh, Jesus puts both of his hands on her and helps her stand up straight, perhaps, you know, with dignity for the first time in 18 years. And so with a word from Jesus, the devil's work was undone in this woman's life and she was set free. And once she experienced the saving work of Christ, you see what her immediate response is. All she wants to do is glorify God. And so this story, it tells you something about the salvation that Jesus brings. Here's this woman with body bent down, bent over upon herself. She can't even look up for help. She's, she's oppressed and she can't do anything to fix her situation. There's no religious leader that can help her. Perhaps she's been the subject of medical experimentation over the course of these last 18 years, if she even had the finances to pay for that kind of treatment. And then Jesus comes to her and speaks a word. And fused bones begin to separate. And these cramped muscles begin to loosen. And she's restored and she begins to glorify God, it's a wonderful picture of the salvation that Jesus intends to bring to all of his people. Restoration to what God intends us to be. I think this story also says something about our Lord Jesus, doesn't it? It reveals his tender heart of compassion. He, he saw her, he, he spoke to her, he touched her. The compassionate eyes of Jesus took notice of her. The compassionate words of Jesus healed her. The compassionate hands of Jesus helped her up. He sees her need. He knows exactly what's wrong with her. And he wants to help her. That's our Jesus, my friends. He's not, he's not an insensitive, unfeeling, unwilling, reluctant Savior. He is a tender, compassionate, willing Savior. That's who Jesus is. And the response to the compassion of Christ, it's you know, widespread rejoicing, celebration, giving glory to God, approval 
uh, from everyone in Jesus' presence? No, that's not what happened, is it? Uh, we, we immediately see in verse 14 a striking contrast to the compassion of Christ. Now the ruler of the synagogue, indignant, he is fuming angry. This is, this is white hot fury because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. He's enraged because Jesus has shown compassion to this broken woman on the Sabbath day. So here's this synagogue ruler, religious leader. He, he should have been the most caring, most compassionate man in the community. But he's a man of order and he has these, he's got these rules, rules which said you could scarcely lift a finger to help someone on the Sabbath. Rules which he believed were biblical or at least were rules intended to protect biblical law. So he's, he's angry because of the day uh, on which Jesus healed. And he, and he doesn't, you notice, he doesn't even have the courage to speak to Jesus directly. Instead, he rebukes the congregation, including this woman who's just been healed. He says, there are six days in which uh, work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. There are other days for these kinds of things to be done. He's saying there's... Uh, this day is for worship and rest, but not for mercy. That's the problem, at least the problem that he presents. I think we'll see in just a moment that Jesus points out that there's actually a, a deeper problem involved here. But you see, you see the contrast between the compassionate heart of Christ and the indifferent, callous, hard heart of this religious leader. He, he was supposed to be someone who cared about people, but he had no compassion for her suffering and he got no joy from her healing. It only made him angry. Because, well, it wasn't actually about the Sabbath. I think he was actually more basically offended by the mercy of God, by the grace of God revealed here in our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus makes it clear that that's the real issue in his response. You hypocrites. You religious phonies are a bunch of actors. This isn't really about the Sabbath. You, you present yourself in this holier-than-thou attitude, just trying to maintain biblical law-keeping, just trying to uphold the sanctity of the Sabbath day. And Jesus is saying, you and your associates are just a bunch of actors playing a game. This isn't about the Sabbath. And, and going on to what Jesus says next, it becomes clear that what these religious leaders are really angry about is mercy, grace, uh, love and compassion to the needy. That's what made them furious. That's what filled their hearts with indignation. Because Jesus was dealing with people graciously. And so notice what Jesus did not do. Okay? He did not deny the abiding significance of the Sabbath. He, he didn't say that the Sabbath was no longer binding so that he could do whatever he pleased now on the Sabbath day. What Jesus was doing was upholding God's real intentions for the Sabbath day. It's interesting how Luke refers to Jesus, identifies Jesus in verse 15. He refers to him as the Lord. 
This is, this is the Lord Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, upholding and exemplifying to us what God's real intention for the Sabbath actually is. And so Jesus accuses this religious leader and his associates of utter hypocrisy, declaring a word, uh, an act of mercy, a work of mercy wrong for the sake of Sabbath observance. Jesus, this isn't, this isn't the real issue. The real issue is that these guys don't like what Jesus is up to, period. After all, these guys were perfectly fine loosing their donkeys and taking them out to get them some water on the Sabbath day. And Jesus says to them, should not I loose this daughter of Abraham who has been bound by Satan for 18 years? Should I not set her free on the Sabbath day? Jesus isn't merely saying that it's allowable for him to do this on the Sabbath day. He's saying there's something fitting about it taking place on the Sabbath. There's, there's a moral oughtness to what Jesus does for this woman on the Sabbath day. So Jesus is confronting these men, and that's the, that's the first contrast I want us to see. The contrast between a compassionate Christ and callous religious ruler. The second contrast very shortly here is between Jesus' adversaries and his friends. It's, it's there in verse 17. As Jesus said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. So some, some stood opposed to what Jesus did and some rejoiced in what Jesus did. And the adversaries of Jesus were put to shame. That is, they were, they, they were humbled, not, not humbled into repentance. They were embarrassed. Their callousness was exposed and they were enraged. They, they looked bad. And so now they're furious. But all of the people witnessing the power and grace of Jesus rejoiced in what Jesus did. So there's these two responses and the Gospels tell stories like this over and over again to remind us that when it comes to the Lord Jesus, there are ultimately only two responses to him. There's no neutral ground when it comes to Jesus. There's no fence that you can sit on. There is a dividing line. There's no Switzerland. Neutral territory when it comes to whether you're an adversary or by grace, a friend of Christ. So you, 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 uh, you, you, you hear the mercy of God. You hear about the mercy of God and, and you, either, you either hate it or you hear about the mercy of God and you love it. You either, you either uh, hear about the grace of God and rejoice in it or you hear about the grace of God and your heart is enraged by it. You hear about the grace of God and perhaps you, you think in your heart, that's unfair. I don't need any of that grace stuff. And Get that out of my life. Get that away from me. Or you hear of the grace of God in Jesus Christ and you say, 
That's my life. That's my hope. That's my joy. That's my song. And it leads you to glorify God because you are either for or against Jesus. And so there are these contrasts. And I want us to just take a few minutes, though, and think about four lessons that we can learn from this story in light of these two contrasts. And the first, actually, is we, we learn actually about a, a deeper contrast that is shaping all of human history. This, this story is about more than the contrast between the compassionate Christ and a callous religious leader. It's about more than Jesus' adversaries and friends. Um, the most basic contrast in this story is actually rooted in Genesis 3.15. The, the contrast between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. serpent. This is ultimately about the climactic conflict between Christ and the devil because the seed of the woman has stepped onto the stage of human history and he has come to destroy the works of the devil. The Gospel of Luke is a victory march to Calvary, to the grave, and then resurrection. And so behind this conflict between Jesus and and this religious leader and behind the, the adversaries and friends of Jesus, there are ultimately these two basic sides. There is the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And, and in this story even we see the, the culmination of the conflict between Jesus and Satan himself. The seed of the woman and the serpent. And I want you to simply see in this story that Luke is declaring to us who the ultimate victor is. This is just a little skirmish in the greater war but the ultimate victor is Jesus who crushes the serpent. You see, just with the word spoken, this woman who has been bound for 18 years without hope, with nothing more than a word, Jesus sets her free. And then second, we learn about God's purpose for the Sabbath day. So we learn that there's a more fundamental contrast in this story between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And then secondly, we learn about God's purpose for the Sabbath day. You know, when you read, read through the Gospels, it would be a, a, an interesting study to do, but it's striking to see how many times Jesus deliberately heals on the Sabbath. He, he, he makes a deliberate point of it, knowing what the reaction would be, knowing that this would always be the reaction to his healing people on the Sabbath day. Jesus intentionally healed people on the Sabbath day knowing that it was going to irritate people. And it's because he's making a point. You know, Jesus healing people on the Sabbath is not incidental, and it's not done merely to irritate or provoke his enemies. It's Jesus fighting for and defending and upholding the true meaning of the Sabbath day, which certainly involves remembering God's original work of creation but also celebrating God's recreating work. See, there, there are these two ways, these two views, two ways of looking at the Sabbath. It's to remember God's work of creation, six days of work, one day 
of rest. And it's a day for celebrating God's redemptive work to recreate what has, by sin, been, if I can put it this way, uncreated, distorted. The Sabbath was to destroy the works of the devil. The Sabbath is to destroy the works of the devil through the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And to demolish his work of devastating the the sons and daughters of men. And to recreate them in the image of Christ as new creatures. This is what the Sabbath day is all about. And so the purpose of the Sabbath is to not only remember, but for God's people to even experience a foretaste of the full restoration that is yet to come. On the Sabbath, we, we look forward to the restoration and rest that Jesus will one day fully and finally bring for his people. I think you can see that uh, highlighted in the book of Deuteronomy. The, the Sabbath was for remembering not only God as creator, but remembering the God who rescued and redeemed them as they anticipated the rest to which God was leading them. And so the purpose of the Sabbath is a foretaste and a reminder of the new creation rest to which God is leading his people. This is why Jesus kept healing on the Sabbath day intentionally. It's a day about redemption. It's a day about recreation, about rebuilding what has been broken down, about redeeming what has been lost and restoring what has been ruined by sin and the devil. And it's also about recognizing Christ's ability and his power to redeem and renew a fallen humanity. My friends, that's one of the reasons we, we gather together on Sunday. We could give several reasons. We, we gather together, together to give, uh, give God the glory due to his name. But another reason we gather together on Sunday, the, the New Testament Sabbath, the Lord's Day, is it's a day for rest. It's a day for, for worship. And it's a day appointed by God for recreation. It's a day for things to be made new. For as it were, the, the future of the people of God to already as it were, come back into our present and pervade our lives right now. It's a day for, if you like, heaven upon earth. That's what the Christian Sabbath is. And notice that the language Jesus uses, it's, it's, it's a, there's a special moral obligation that Jesus feels he is under. This moral oughtness to, to make whole, to set loose, and to set free on the Sabbath day. My friends, all I want to ask you today is do you come to church with that kind of mindset? Do you come to church because it's a routine? Because you do it out of custom? What if we came to church recognizing the fact that we are caught up in this cosmic conflict between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman? And we come as people needing to be straightened out by our Lord Jesus Christ. To be, to be made new. People needing to be loosed from spiritual bonds. 
That is how Jesus understood and understands the Sabbath day. Day for rest, day for worship, and a day for God's redemptive, recreating work. That's why he says, ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, a member of the covenant community whom Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. He's saying it's fitting It's right. God has ordained this day for this very purpose. Because this is a day that shows us that what has been wrecked and destroyed by sin will, by Christ and through Christ, be restored. It is a day that anticipates and looks forward to the eternal Sabbath When our Lord Jesus takes all that is twisted and makes it straight, all that is broken and puts it back together again for all those who trust in him. And so as the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus was restoring God's original intent for the Sabbath. And he's saying works of mercy are at the heart of the true meaning of the Sabbath. Third, we learn another lesson here. We learn that Jesus puts the disabled front and center in his church. As as Lord of the church, Jesus comes to this synagogue and he disrupts the status quo of this congregation. He comes and disturbs the harmony and the regularity and he did it intentionally. He called this disabled woman and put her center stage. This woman who is always at the back, always on the fringes, always being left out and he gives her priority and special attention. And this isn't just a unique occasion in Luke's gospel. He repeats it again and again because I think our Lord Jesus has a message for his church. And the message is, I I make it a priority to show compassion and mercy to disabled, broken, dysfunctional, marginalized, and needy people. And Jesus wants it to be the priority of his people to do the same. You know, I think it's really easy for us to uh, look at these calloused men and say... This is pretty bad. You know, a guy, a religious leader who cares more about his donkey than a disabled woman. I would never, ever do something like that. I thought about that during the week, and I thought, um, how, many, how many hours a week and how much money Do Christians in the American church spend upon their dogs and cats, gerbils, turtles, fish, horses, whatever? And how many hours a week and how much money do Christians spend on showing mercy to the disabled? Now don't don't mishear me. Love your pets. They're God's gift to us. You actually you glorify God by taking care of creatures that he has entrusted to your care. My question is, what about our priorities? You know, it, yes, it, it looks different in our day. I, Jesus taking this passage and applying it to us. There's some other words Jesus would say to us, but the principle is the same. And Jesus is seeking to reorient our priorities because he puts the disabled, he puts the needy, the helpless at the very forefront of, 
of his care. So if you go back to the question I asked at the start, uh, you, have, you have your answer. And therefore, it is our call as a church, as we walk in the steps of our Savior, to prioritize what Jesus prioritizes. You know, how each of us obeys this will, will vary, but the call is surely universal, because this is not incidental to Jesus' mission. It's at the very heart of what Jesus is about. And then finally, one, one final lesson, going back to the Sabbath. We, we learn to look forward in this story to eternal Sabbath rest. Because what Jesus does here is it's just, it's just a little foretaste of the final and full healing that he will give to all of God's people. You, know, you read about uh, some of the messianic prophecies in Isaiah, like Isaiah 35, describing what would happen when the Messiah comes? The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk, the mute will speak. And, and later on in, in Isaiah uh, chapter 61, uh, Christ speaking prophetically of himself says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. You know, to a degree, we see that being fulfilled during the first coming of Christ, but it's still incomplete. It hasn't reached its full reality. These are just, these are just cameos. These are just samples. These are just foretastes of Christ's great work that lies in the future to do this on the universal scale for all of his people. And so these words will be fully, in Isaiah, they will be fully fulfilled at the resurrection of Christ in the new heavens and the new earth as Jesus ushers us into eternal Sabbath rest. And you know, one of the greatest joys, and I think you appreciate this more and more as you get older, but one of the greatest joys that we look forward to, what will it be like when all at once we see, uh, we see the blind who were sightless their entire lives suddenly able to see what will it be like when the deaf you know you've seen those videos and what a picture that is of what it will be like in heaven one day those folks who've been deaf all their lives and now through surgery are able to hear the voice of their loved ones for the first time and they're weeping they're weeping with tears of joy what will it be like to see the lame leaping and when, when all of this, all of God's people, all at once see this total transformation, think of all of our brothers and sisters who have endured chronic pain. Think of loved ones that we've lost to cancer. Think of those who suffer from permanent disabilities, what it's going to be like when we're all together and all at once the blind see and the deaf hear and the lame walk and the mute talk and the sick are healed and those with disturbed minds, their minds are just, their minds are completely restored. Those who are suffering from depression, bipolar disorder, the schizophrenic, all of these other disorders gone forever. I don't know about you, but no wonder the Bible ends with the prayer, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. But you know, 
as we think about these physical disabilities, I think we need to also be reminded that because of sin, because of, because of the way sin has impacted each and every one of us, at the end of the day, we need to say all of us are disordered. We all suffer from disorder. You know, most of us think our emotional life is generally healthy. But I think when we enter into our eternal Sabbath rest, we're going to realize just how dysfunctional we were in our emotional life. Some of us think maybe, uh, you know, I'm not a genius, but I'm pretty smart. I'm pretty clear-headed. Just wait until your mind is set free from all of the ways that sin impacts your thought life. We think we know the love of Christ, and we do. We do know the love of Christ, but, but we will one day realize, well, we might find ourselves saying, it's as though I hardly knew it at all. And, uh, you know, we, we say, we who are Christians, we love Christ. And I hope that's true for each and every one of us, but in the new heavens and the new earth, our capacity to love the way that we ought to is going to expand to such a degree that our hearts are going to overflow and abound with love for Christ. You know, we think we come together on the Lord's Day as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we enjoy fellowship and, and friendship, and, and what a gift it is. But what will it be like when we truly love one another fully as we should? What will it be like as brothers and sisters in Christ to, to love one another without sin getting in the way? What a, what a day. And my friends, that day is coming. And the miracles of the Lord Jesus are meant to give us snapshots of what it's going to be like one day when we see him face to face, if we belong to him, if we are one of his friends by faith, if you are one of his adversaries, perhaps even an adversary pretending to be neutral in this matter. I don't mean to be hard, but just go the opposite way. And that's what it's going to be like. The contrast couldn't be greater at the end. And surely, surely this story and others like it give you a longing for the future and, and wholeness that Christ alone can provide. So dear friends, I, I simply want to ask you today as we wrap up, why, why would you ever stick up your nose at this Christ? And why would you ever turn your back or shun such a compassionate Christ. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are such a compassionate Savior. And we know that in your incarnate work for us, that you are revealing the, the compassion and love and tender care of a heavenly Father. Oh, we thank you that you are a powerful Savior and that you are able to take bent and crooked sinners and make them straight and heal them of their diseases and free them all together from sin's guilt and power and consequences. And so, Lord Jesus, our trust is in you. And I pray this morning for 
for anyone who has found themselves sticking up their nose at grace, that you would humble them to bring them with empty hands to the Lord Jesus and find in him everything they need for both now and eternity. We pray this all for Jesus' sake. Amen.